0: Today I'm joined by Sandra Kelly and Nigel Payne, who are both experts in the field of skills training and development. We're going to discuss what employers are doing to help support people during the COVID-19 crisis, as well as preparedness plans for the return and any positive takeaways from this period of lockdown. As an introduction, Sandra Kelly is UK director for People First International, where she leads their work across the UK to drive an employer-led approach to skills. Her deep insights into current and future skills needs are born out of the strong relationships she holds with industry, enabling real-time intelligence and practical solutions into the workforce disruptions and challenges we commonly face. She's also been instrumental in bringing together employers and partners with a passion for skills development through a series of employer skills and quality boards in the hospitality, travel, retail, and aviation sectors. Here, a collaborative approach to identifying skills and priorities is taken, as well as developing industry-endorsed strategy on just how to attract, retain, and develop the best talent. Sandra worked in hospitality for 30 years prior to joining People First International in 2018. I'm also delighted to be joined by Nigel Payne. Nigel is a regular speaker, writer and broadcaster on the topic of development, technology and leadership who has over 25 years experience in corporate learning. At one point he headed up the BBC's learning and development operation He now helps organizations to build great workplaces. Nigel is currently teaching a doctoral program at an Ivy League university, has written three recent books, presents a monthly program on Learning Now TV, as well as co-hosting the From Scratch podcast with Martin Cousins. Let's start off by hearing from Sandra, who has some interesting and insightful feedback to share from her network. Sandra good morning and thank you very much for joining us here today. Hi Nicola. Now I know you've been speaking to a number of HRDs and L&D professionals in recent weeks. Can you share more with us about the types of discussions currently taking place regarding COVID-19 and training and development in particular?
1: Yes, certainly. At People First International, the approach we've taken is to go directly back to our four employer boards um, in hospitality, retail, travel and aviation. They're chaired by Hilton, Co-op, BCD Travel and British Airways. And that means that we can reach out to up to 70 to 80 of our members who are employers who sit around those tables. And because we've built relationships with them over actually over the last eight years with most of them, we're having some very poignant and direct conversations around the impact of COVID-19 on those businesses and the individuals what they're telling us is thousands of redundancies have happened thousands of the workers have been furloughed um and in particular their HR teams have been significantly reduced one organisation described a team of 57 down to 3 and others described redundancies across recruitment managers and resourcing managers and focus on organizational redesign and restructures. Another organization described a complete lockdown of um, most HR practice around learning and development and recruitment for two years with a three to five year recovery plan. Another described where 400 of their exec, their directors and their heads of have just now gone. They're now no longer in the organisation. What they've also described to us is where remote working is effective, you see the most confident and responsive and agile leaders and managers who are driving those changes internally to working practices, where virtual meetings are taking place and where you've got furloughed workers who can still be in learning, whether it's as part of what they're doing in terms of personal development, whether it's part of what they're doing as part of their apprenticeship. The Capacity to change and address the current situation is huge. On a personal level in our organisation, we provide external quality assurance of endpoint assessment of apprenticeship standards. And we've worked really closely with government to make changes so that we can enable remote assessment to take place. The temporary changes and it will get back to the approved and published plans. Just having the capability to quickly make decisions to address an immediate situation has been really important. I think the best state trial practice we've heard is where there's been a really strong focus on personal development plans of furloughed workers, really, really encouraging and driving personal development, but also preparing for new business practice.
0: Sandra, so what are the top issues that L&D professionals are facing when it comes to business readiness and ensuring that everybody's ready for the return?
1: So from a longer term view, there are the three things around preparing for an evolved workplace. Retaining the workforce ready to go after lockdown gives important stability, but HR professionals have got to focus on different working practices and maybe new roles that are emerging in a new organisational design, particularly where we've seen significant numbers of redundancies or reorganised workplaces. Business leaders are critical here to empower HR to make the changes that they need to make and to make sure that they're using technology to enable employees to work remotely where they can, but also driving really good management practice. So the future for the leaders that are the most agile and confident, who've taken all the right decisions for their businesses and their workforce, will be those that quickly and effectively adapt for opening, the second thing is around recognizing that we've all seen and experienced now that there are some critical skills for the future. Digital clearly springs to mind, but also if you've got an opportunity to pause for a moment and reset, you really would be thinking about what maybe some of the green and social skills are that are emerging, and I think that that's at jobs at every single level. I think what's important here is the leaders, the HR leaders in tourism, will also be looking at shorter training and maybe assessment courses that guarantee vocational competence or regulatory compliance. That's what we're hearing um, from our HR organisations in travel and aviation in particular. They want to be able to meet newly emerging needs of consumers who are looking for protection and confidence. I think the third area is around being sustainable corporate and social responsibility in the future is going to be significantly more meaningful. And I think it's important that tourism, you know, hospitality, the areas I'm looking after can demonstrate environmental sustainability and and think about how they work with government in terms of how they invest and how they recover and how they package this together. A lot of the organisations that we're talking to are saying, we've got to start collaborating. You know, wouldn't it be brilliant if the hospitality and tourism industries collaborated more with the creative and the cultural industries to understand products and solutions that, that are much more around social and cultural experiences. There's emerging trends in tourism that I think would be accelerated just by people needing at a point in time in future, more social contact and a more profound experience as they travel and as they spend their their leisure time. You know, and all of that would be balanced against the potential challenges that people might have of fear of crowds or new hygiene practice. Three things immediately, though, for customer facing staff when they return in hospitality, retail, travel or aviation will be around new social distancing service behaviours, new workplace measures and and much more focused on infection control.
0: Indeed, they're going to have a a very important role to play with that in reassuring the general public because some of you may have seen research and data out in recent days. The general population are pretty flipped out about the idea of going back into shops, going into restaurants, popping out for a pint, and they really are going to need quite a lot of reassurance at many levels in order to have any sort of a return to normality. Sandra, on that point, are employers planning or starting training and development virtually at the moment around all these new things that people are going to need to have the the skills and competencies, information, etc.? Or are they going to wait until staff get back to to work? How, how's
1: that playing out? There's a there's a real mixture, and the real mixture hinges on how they were using technology and training prior to lockdown. They have a culture of training and learning and development practice, and as a priority for investing in their in their people, and they have the technology to be able to continue with this or enhance this, you'll see organisations emerging really very strongly. But we've seen it on the high street, examples of the impact of not using technology, you know, pre-COVID-19. Large retailer with no online business model, sales stopped overnight where other retailers have been able to continue with their online shopping. And it's an example about how other organisations have been thinking about investing in the future. Think Where organisations have got the capability to convert face-to-face to to virtual learning, they'll obviously be much better prepared when they return to work. We've converted one of our classroom training to enable our network of trainers to continue working in a virtual classroom. And they've gone out to talk to organisations around investing in their workforce and delivering training in a completely different way. And they're getting very mixed responses so undoubtedly there's going to be a combination of online and virtual training and then for those who that, that cannot do deliver in this way that their learning and development practices will be interrupted and the disruption will be significant for them during this period of lockdown and it will have a massive impact on how they reopen their organisations
0: interesting so perhaps no surprise there that technology is king and we're going to be seeing or already are a vast acceleration in that space. Nigel, it'll be interesting to go on to talk more about that in just a moment with you, Sandra. We've talked about the practicalities of training, so the nitty gritty nuts and bolts stuff. Bear in mind, you out there talking to HRDs and senior HR professionals and other decision makers, is anything coming through in terms of issues or? Interesting observations around the strategy, the planning, the bigger picture stuff.
1: So for the first few weeks of changing working practices, you know, lockdown, HR was all hands on deck in terms of dealing with the practicalities of reorganising their workforce. So that was a primary challenge um, for the first few weeks, whether there would be redundancies, whether they would lay people off permanently whether they would lay people off temporarily, whether they would furlough their organisations, you know, very, very different decisions. With apprentices, would they pause their learning? How long would they pause the their learning for? Or indeed, would they make different business decisions? And the preoccupation with this clearly has taken over the first part of a practical approach to, to lockdown. Now we're in the process of survival, really, and strategy and organisations who are in survival mode and those that can adapt to the new environment most effectively and timely will be best prepared. What they're not doing is they're not waiting for concrete government advice. We've seen ourselves how shops are adapting behind the scenes. There's new levels of attention around risk assessment and insurance requirements and clearly new ways of working. But when it comes back, to opening customer-facing organizations, which very many are still open where their hotels are looking after key workers and where other establishments have adapted how they deliver their, their services. You know, there's a lot of delivery and a lot of on- online um, service now. What's really important, though, when they reopen up is that there's consistency And consistency will be critical. So clear information and guidance to help ensure that there's a uniform approach, no mixed messages, no confusion, no variations of the rules. Hospitality have requested as much notice as possible to make sure that their supply chains can be up and running. There's so much to think about here, because where supply chains may not have survived closure period, contingency now will be to organise their businesses to be able to open as close to normal as possible. Every person we've spoken to expects there to be a very, very phased reopening. It's very difficult to predict and forecast consumer behaviour. It's very difficult to predict and forecast um, how you can most effectively rebuild your organisation In the most instances we've heard, those customer-facing teams may well be out of furlough and back onto the shop floor way ahead of other functions.
0: Yes, so we are in a very VUCA environment, as they say, uh, but organizations are responding to the uncertainty, to the volatility and confusion and so on pretty well by the sounds of it, do you think that this will start to play out in terms of training and development courses moving forward or other initiatives uh, in relation to staff training and and education where the fact that businesses have had to wrestle with this uncertain high-risk period will change
1: other things as a result? We've certainly seen a demand and much more discussion around shorter online training and such an importance on assessment of competence, particularly around regulatory compliance. You know, that's already very much in demand. I think it's centered on the fact that when you've got scarce resource, you have to focus the mind on what is essential. And right now, how to protect your people, your employees and your customers is an essential part of your new business plan. Then communicating how you're doing this to your employees and customers is essential. Monitoring how effective it is, is now essential. Learning new workplace practices, those service behaviours or the infection control, these things are now essential. And assessing that people are doing this in the way that they need to be doing it is essential. So there are some drivers that are going to change business practice, certainly in the short term, that I'm hoping will remain for a long period of time thereafter. I think it's really important that organisations are offering very relevant training to their employees, and that they are assessing competence in a much more formal way. employees are looking for this too. They're looking for the assurances that they're doing the right thing and then also seeing the opportunities to be able to move from one role to another role by structured learning and development that's actually meeting the needs of today.
0: Indeed. Nigel, is there anything that you'd like to add to that?
2: I can add a few things. You know, I've been working with organisations... Pretty much all over the world in the last few weeks. And I don't think there's any country that's particularly stands out as behaving any differently to the organizations that Sandra mentioned, which are, which are all UK based. But in my experience, there are three reactions to L and D from companies generally. The first one is the most depressing and that is close. In other words, we don't need it. We can't afford it. Just get rid of these people, either temporarily or permanently. We'll deal with the issues and the the, the fallback, the fallout from that later. The second is impose, and what that is is to say to L and D, you're the people who know about this remote stuff. You get the whole organisation online. You get them working remotely. Uh, you've got two days, and it's just insane. Too much pressure and without a real understanding of uh, how working online changes everything. It's not just a case of making sure everyone can log on to Zoom. And the third is the the most successful reaction, and that is trust your L&D to do what they can do. So some of that is about supporting staff in managing to work remotely. Some of it is working out what are the most important areas for training and development to continue. Some of that is around compliance. Some of it is around raising a, a range of different skills and competencies. For example, there's a huge amount required of imagination and experimentation now. And if you've got a workforce that just aren't used to that or have had a management that has not encouraged that, shifting the focus, moving the needle to create a more engaged and creative environment in spite of everything can be a really powerful role for L&D. So I, I think l and D's under a lot of pressure at the moment for good or for ill. And when it's allowed to, it can do very, very good work just in the way that HR is under huge pressure. You know, there was a recent FOSWAY Group report on L&D's response to COVID-19. And 100% of the, of the people responding said that HR is deeply involved and one in four said that COVID-19 had overtaken the entire HR function. In other words, their 100% focus was on trying to deal with the fallout from, from all of this. So th- these are big moments in the world. And like all big moments, the best come to the front and show real leadership and the worst knee jerk, negative, narrow reactions focusing on tomorrow and not on next week, next month, next year. Because that—that that everybody should be thinking about how they're going to get out of this, not only how they survive for the next five days.
0: It's really encouraging to hear you talking about experimentation and imagination and so on. Can you tell us about any particular innovations that you've heard about or new models that organizations are using that are perhaps likely to remain long after COVID has passed?
2: Yes, I will. I, I think there are a lot. You know, I, the, the first reaction was what we did face to face, we'll just do online. So they were putting people in front of webinars for hours on end with disastrous results. You know, people just bored out of their skulls, systems not working properly, people going away and doing the shopping while they were supposed to be in the middle of a webinar. So all of that stuff, I think was very short lived. What we're seeing is much more imaginative ways of engaging people. For example, there is a huge uptake of electronic tools for creativity, brainstorming, rethinking, Ideas, solving problems, so that, for example, start with a problem, not with a training issue, and work on the problem as, as a group. We're seeing much more small group focused rather than large group focused, much more about individual members of the workforce being sent away and to work on an element of the program and come back and share their conclusions just as other parts have come back and shared their conclusions. So the whole is kind of sharing the intelligence and the initiative of the group rather than one person telling everyone what to think. By and large that is the least successful way of going forward. I suppose probably the most important reaction is to realize that you're dealing with human beings and not ciphers and that those organizations that have Put support and caring and empathy first have got the best reaction from staff in terms of learning and in terms of focusing on getting the organization moving. Those that simply say, right, you used to work in the office, now you're working from home, get on with it nine to five, are having less success both in terms of day-to-day productivity and certainly less success in terms of L&D. So it's a very mixed picture, but the best are doing things that will definitely endure because it's working and people are enjoying it and they're actually moving forward faster. The worst are kind of building big problems for themselves in the future in that they're building resistance and resentment and, and a sense that no one cares about us. We're just the victims here. And not seeing this as a whole company, whole group, customers, staff, suppliers problem. It's a holistic problem. It's not a single problem.
0: Yeah, indeed. It, It is holistic. It does involve all of us. Do you both think that given all these changes that... We will, from a positive perspective, come out of this with new ways of doing things, new insights, more agility, and and so on, and that organizations truly are going to be able to embed what they've learned into their policies and their approaches moving forward. Sandra, could, can I start by asking you that question, if you've got something you'd like to add?
1: Yeah, I think that there's a cultural change here and i think that the cultural changes in a, is around an exchange of the way people find out information and not being afraid to ask questions when you don't know um, and very often that's not part of an organization's culture i spoke to an hr director in the uk who was had such a challenging problem that she had to come up with a solution for and she was really struggling and one night before she went to sleep she just posed a question online and she woke up to such a wide range of different thoughts and possible solutions and the breakdown of the barrier there was hierarchy around organization you know other people in other parts of the world the same organization you know hierarchy and job role um, wasn't an issue it literally was reaching out in a way that she had never worked before and it was very very empowering she'll not go back to lying awake at night and now struggling with a challenge that she can't fix. And I think that's a huge cultural change. And I think it's very empowering. Such an intense period of learning
0: for organisations. And, and at a personal level, if I may, Sandra, what's been the biggest lesson for you? What lessons have you learned in this crazy
1: period? So I've been fortunate that for probably the last 15 years of my career, I've worked remotely, mainly, um, and I've been a remote leader for, for years. And it's really only now that I've really understood there's a real strength to that. That's really not something that anybody taught me to, to become. But I now know I've got strengths and the strengths have really helped me through this time and in the years leading up to it being able to have um, a very effective remote team and what I've learned is communication and clarity is critical building emotional connections I've built stronger emotional connections with my team in the last month than I'd had maybe in the last year and we're working much more collaboratively but I've got the capability now to inspire confidence in in my teams and enable them to be the best that they can be and it's brought us a lot closer together and I've never considered myself to be such an emotional leader but I've actually seen that that's exactly what I am and again I think it takes a little bit of courage to be able to say those things out loud not every organization has a culture that embraces that
0: agreed thank you so much for sharing that Nigel how about you
1: I think that uh, there's going to be
2: a shakeout of organizations, and it's almost like it's accelerating at the moment, and those that are on top of it are going to do well and come out stronger, and those that are struggling now will probably fail. I think that, and that's something really hard that we're going to have to come to terms with, but maybe it's a good thing. Uh, the, the fact is that organizations evolve, grow, get taken over, shrink, and collapse. And I think we're going to see an acceleration of that. But the good ones, there's that are building some very powerful routes for the future. But There are two things that I've noticed. The first one is that I reckon we're now at the end of the top down, micromanaging, bullying style of management. Because you could get away with it in day to day normal life in these circumstances that is shown up as being utterly Useless. It's just failing on every level and it's massively failing on in terms of delivering productivity. And those that are just like Sandra, more em- empathetic, more emotional, more spending time making sure everyone's all right than spending time making sure everyone's done everything that I told them to do by the date I told them are doing so much better. And the results are bottom line results. This isn't about being nice. This is about being sensible. So I suppose the biggest lesson that I've learned over all of this is that we're going to have to be much more caring about people. And we're going to have to recognize that there isn't a human being at work, who is different from the human being leaving work and being at home, that they're actually the same person. And that What affects them at home will affect them at work, and what affects them at work will affect them at home. And we've got to be able to deal with that and manage that. And I think ultimately reap the productivity rewards as a result of that. But it's going to require a big shake-up in terms of what leadership works and what leadership matters going forward. And I actually think that ultimately that will be a good thing, although it will be a painful transition.
0: Sandra, Nigel, thank you so much for joining me here today. It's really been a profoundly interesting conversation. And I say profound because it does feel as if we're at some sort of a pivot point, some sort of a reset is taking place and that management never will be quite the same again. And I agree with both of you that there are positive, important learnings to come out of this. And that if there is this big shakeout of those organizations that were bullying in culture, where people were just some sort of a number to the bottom line and so on, then perhaps when we look back at this period, we'll think that maybe it wasn't quite as bad a situation as we did at the time. So thank you very much again for coming today.
2: Thank you very much, Nicola.
1: Thanks, Nicola.